When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. True crime. Unsolved cases. Strange disappearances. Join me as we travel through the timeline of some of the darkest acts in human history. I'm your host, Kevin Eustace, and welcome to the first season of The Deadly Countdown. Episode 7, Fred and Rose West, The Match Made in Hell. Gloucester police have called another press conference in the morning. It's thought that could signal yet another body has been found at number 25 Cromwell Street. The seventh has already been discovered, and police say the search will go on. They're planning to dig in a field near the Hertfordshire border, at a caravan site, and at another house in Gloucester. They believe the number of bodies could go well into double figures. That was UK news reporter Phil Roman with some breaking news that yet another body had been found at 25 Cromwell Street. An address now synonymous with two of the most sadistic and prolific serial killing duos the world has ever seen. With at least 12 bodies that we know of lying in their wake, we will soon discover over the following two episodes how perhaps for some of these victims, death was perhaps a sweet release from the utter sadism, torture, rape and barbarism that these two horrific individuals put them through. Therefore, a quick trigger warning about the next two episodes. If you're squeamish, they're probably not for you. Welcome back to The Deadly Countdown. I'm your host, Kev Eustace, and welcome to Episode 7 of Season 1. And yes, you may well think, good God, not another true crime podcast. Where we try and be different, as a solo-hosted podcast, there'll be no banter, there'll be no levity in these episodes. And that is with good reason. Let's remember... We are talking about human beings, people with families. Irrelevant of the time past in any situation, laughter and mirth should not really come into play. But what gives me the right to start talking and debating things like murder, true crime, kidnappings, disappearances? Well, the simple truth is nothing. I'm just like you. I want to know more about the detail. I want to know what makes people tick. 
I'm particularly fascinated by the argument of nature over nurture. Are some of these callous killers that we will meet a result of genetics or a result of how they were brought up? Who knows, it's a long debated subject. But we may, over the course of a number of seasons, at the very least come up with a pattern. Already by episode 7 of season 1, we can tell your upbringing does play a part in how you turn out as an adult. But to what point? There are thousands of people who are sadly abused each and every day. But we don't have thousands of serial killers. So is there a genetic trait, a chemical imbalance, which brings about this action? Because that is the key difference. Action. There is a French saying that we've all experienced called le pel de vide, or simply put, the call of the void. And we've all experienced it, whether we admit it or not. It could be at a train station, where a fleeting thought has entered your mind, I could push that man in front of that train. Or even with yourself, I could step in front of that train. But is this the key factor that's missing between us and the serial killer? Action. Whatever genetic trait is in there that makes them act on this lapel de vide? Or are we looking into far too much detail and some people are simply born deranged? When you hear such horrific acts as we're about to cover over the next two shows, it's hard to think otherwise. But before we start the deadly countdown on Fred and Rose West, let me tell you about our wonderful club over at Patreon. When you sign up to our Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes a full day before everyone else and ad-free but you can also gain access to our Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case. Cold Case is a bi-weekly podcast only for Patreons, which will run fortnightly throughout the year, even on the downtime between seasons. But the best reason to join Patreon is over there we're building a wonderful community of like-minded true crime enthusiasts. And we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the deadly countdown. Just like these wonderful new team members have Lauren, Tavia Dillon, Gretchen Fisher, Molly Healy, Brenda T, Lisa Cash, Amy Montgomery, Amanda H, Tracy, Hillary, Pete W, and Jordan Carter. Thank you so much for supporting the show, guys, and it's great to know that you're getting in at the very start founding our true crime community. And so, if you'd like early ad-free releases and, of course, access to that Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case, head over to patreon.com forward slash The Deadly Countdown. But right now, we're going to take a look at a case so horrific that the local council decided the house where the murderers lived was such a reminder of the evil that took place they chose to demolish it. And so, for Fred and Rose West, let's start the Deadly Countdown.
Frederick Walter Stephen West was born on September the 29th, 1941, in Muchmarkle, Hertfordshire, England, to Walter and Daisy West. His father, Walter, was a farmer, and he came from a long line of farmers. Life on the farm was filled with demanding labour, just enough to keep them teetering on the edge of poverty. But the local community regarded the parents as respectful and diligent. Fred was one of six children, the second to be exact, and each of the children dutifully assisted their parents whenever needed. The adorable young kid with a mop of black hair was Fred, and he was his mother, Daisy's favourite. To say Daisy was devoted to her son would be an understatement. He was described as a cheerful child, seemingly light-hearted and innocent, appearing to be your average happy-go-lucky child. But as we hear over and over again in cases like this, behind closed doors is a very different story. You see, behind those closed doors was only a two-bedroom cottage. Fred had five siblings and two parents. And Fred would later reveal his father engaged in inappropriate relationships with three of his sisters. Also, Walter, this clearly wonderful father also encouraged Fred to engage in bestiality or intercourse with farmyard animals. But despite these obviously disturbing revelations, they presented themselves as a normal family to the outside world, respectful and diligent. I can think of many people I would give those monikers to, I think we're quickly going to learn over our episodes and seasons that human beings can be the most despicable things on Earth. When it comes to Fred's academic ability, well, it could hardly be described as outstanding. He was praised for his work in the woodshop and the art room. However, there were concerns raised about his conduct in the classroom. His peers would regard him as having little intellect and a tendency towards argumentative behaviour. Fred became increasingly disgruntled with his family's ongoing battle to make ends meet, and he began to engage in petty theft, just to supplement their, or his, income. Fred, who was virtually literate at this point, took the choice to stop going to school when he was 15, so he could focus entirely on working on the farm. After another year had passed and Fred was becoming a young man, the young women finally began to take note of this seemingly outstandingly good-looking boy and began to flirt with him. Well, he appreciated the praise, but it also made him more aggressive with women especially if he was at a local bar. The alcohol seemed to give him such Dutch courage 
he would be so forceful it would almost constitute sexual abuse. All seemed to be going well for Fred. He had women drooling over him. He was growing into a good-looking young man. But when he was 17 years old, he experienced a life-altering motorbike accident. It left him with a significant head injury that necessitated the placement of a metal plate. His legs were fractured to such an extent that one of them remained permanently shorter than the other. Fred was even in a coma for a week. This event exacerbated what was already a generally icy temper. Another serious concussion followed at 19, when, rightfully so, he was pushed down a set of concrete steps after molesting a young girl. However, it was during these late teen years that the true monster began to reveal itself as a distressing allegation unfolded. Fred's 13-year-old sister bravely confided in their mother, revealing that she had been subjected to a sexual assault by Fred and, as a result, was now pregnant. He was promptly arrested and, when questioned by police, openly admitted molesting girls since a youth. And as an early example of just how warped his mentality was, even at that age, he said to the police, Doesn't everyone do this? Unbelievably, or maybe not so, his mother Daisy was going to speak in his defence. But something changed her mind last minute. Interestingly, around this time, his sister declined to testify, resulting in his release. But he was immediately ostracised by the whole family, and he moved in with his Aunt Violet. Was a deal struck? Was his mother Daisy fully aware of the monster he was? but still couldn't bear to see him behind bars, and therefore coerced his sister to drop the case, on the proviso he be sent away. Maybe, but let's not forget, this is a case of two people, two murderers equally culpable. So, what of Rose West? Rosemary Pauline Letts, was born on November the 29th, 1953 in Northam, Devon, to Bill and Daisy Letts, who, at the time of her birth, were both poverty-stricken. Rose was born into a world where both her parents struggled with mental illness. This made it a challenge for her to develop into an adult. Daisy who was pregnant with Rosemary at the time, is said to have undergone electroshock therapy for her acute depression. And after receiving a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia, her father Bill's OCD symptoms became much worse. His primary obsession was maintaining cleanliness, 
The house needed to be immaculate at all times, and the children were required to take numerous spot checks, having their hair combed thoroughly for insects at various points in the day. He was certain that the floor and carpets should be bleached on a regular basis. If his wife Daisy spoke to anyone when he was in one of these phases, he would severely, severely beat her. In Rosemary's early childhood, she would often strike her head against her bed each night time. Throughout the day, she exhibited a repetitive motion of swinging her head forward, sometimes assuming a blank gaze and displaying signs of dissociation for prolonged periods. There is some conjecture this may be ascribed to the electroconvulsive treatments Rose's mother had. However, the rocking described is often a coping mechanism, one for many adolescents who have been through or witnessed trauma. The act of rocking supposedly acts as the motherly comfort they need, and still appear to need in their early teens. Even adults can and do revert to this need in the event of shocking news or tragedy. During Rose's early teenage years, her father made a horrifying attempt to rape her older sister. He constantly tormented her sister, to the point where once she reached the age of 15, she made a swift exit. And so her father transferred his affections to Rosemary. Now, no 13-year-old girl, especially after witnessing such trauma, could be blamed for believing that doing what her father wanted was the right thing to do. So, Rosemary seemed to accept the sexual approaches. Rose acted sexually even with her own brothers. All of this at the mere age of 13. It is very important to point out these are not the acts of an adult woman using her sexual cunning as a charm. This is a child, horrifically acting in a way she believed would make her family happy. At some point, unsurprisingly, her mother decided to end the marriage by filing for divorce. Shortly thereafter, Rose, like Fred, suffered academically. However, she willingly chose to move in with her father, although she was now 16, and she kept having sexual encounters both with him and one of her siblings. In a nutshell, if there were ever two people who destiny should never have brought together... It was Fred West and Rosemary Letts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But before Fred crossed paths with Rose, there was Catherine Costello. Fred, who was 21 at the time, reconnected with Rena in September 62. They first met two years before, in 1960, at a dance hall in Much Markle. Following a short-lived love affair, Rena decided to go back to her homeland in Scotland. During the time of her marriage to Fred, she was pregnant with a child, whose father happened to be an Asian bus driver. This revelation caused quite a commotion within her family, potentially leading to her decision to relocate from Glasgow to England. The societal pressures and family disapproval of her mixed-race child had a significant impact on their relationship. Fred and Rena's wedding, which took place in Ledbury on November the 17th, was a small and intimate affair, with only Fred's younger brother, John, in attendance. At first, the newlyweds found themselves residing in Fred's aunt's home. However, they soon made the decision to relocate to Coatbridge, where Fred embarked on a career as an ice cream van driver. Rena welcomed their daughter, Charmaine, into the world in March 1963. Rena and Fred concocted a complex tale to conceal Charmaine's true parentage and skin tone, asserting that Rena had experienced a miscarriage and so they chose to adopt instead. July 1964 marked a turning point with the birth of their daughter, Anne-Marie. The arrival of their second child in their Savoy Street home added a new dimension to their already complex lives. Observations from Isa McNeil, their family nanny, and neighbour painted a picture of Rena as a mother tirelessly trying to manage two young children. However, Fred's harsh treatment of the girls stood in stark contrast. He confined them with modified bunk beds, creating a cage-like environment, allowing them freedom only during his work hours. The couple's life became further entangled when 16-year-old Anne McFall, grieving the loss of her boyfriend in a tragic accident, she found solace at the West's home. Unaware of the dark undercurrents within the family, she found herself assisting McNeil as an almost semi-living babysitter. Rena's discovery of Fred's numerous affairs led to her seeking comfort in the arms of a John McLachlan. A violent altercation ensued when Fred caught them together, resulting in a physical confrontation when Fred resorted to a knife but ultimately backed down. 
McLachlan later recalled Fred's inability to confront men, contrasting with his propensity for violence against women. McLachlan openly continued his affair with Rena, but was often left horrified by her physical injuries, all indicative of Fred's brutal assaults. Each new revelation of abuse prompted McLachlan to retaliate against Fred. In a particularly disturbing incident, McLachlan witnessed Fred slapping his own daughter, Charmaine. Following an innocent request from Charmaine for an ice cream, McLachlan, seeing how tough Fred thought he was to women and children, walked over and, in an act that, picturing it, truly satisfies, beat Fred senseless. Shortly after, Fred hit a child with his ice cream van, killing him. This was in Glasgow on November the 4th, 1965. Although the police found no crime on his part, he was afraid to return to the town, mainly because of the resident's response and possible retaliation. So he moved back to Gloucester in December, with his wife and his daughters, staying in a rented caravan in Bishop's Cleves Timberland Caravan Park, Rena followed later in February 1966, and they were soon joined by both McNeil and McFall. Coming from low-income homes, they both intended to find employment in England. Soon after relocating to the south, Fred started working as a truck driver for a local slaughterhouse. Fred soon attempted to assert power, control and dominance over all three ladies. Rena and McNeil usually took the brunt of this rage, but it said he started to sexually assault Charmaine and kept trying to push Rena into prostitution to help pay the bills. Desperate to escape Fred's escalating abuse and disturbing actions, Rena turned to McLachlan, desperately seeking his assistance in rescuing herself, McNeil, and her children. McLachlan, Rena, and McNeil devised a strategy for a covert getaway. McLachlan, along with McNeil's boyfriend, John Trotter, would make the journey to Bishop's Cleave in McLachlan's Mini to bring Rena and her children and McNeil back to Scotland. However, at this point, McFall had developed a strong emotional bond with Fred as he'd made a promise of marriage to her. It's believed she informed Fred about the plan, as he suddenly appeared unexpectedly at the meeting point. McFall seemed strangely calm as she broke the news to McNeil that she would be remaining with Fred in her role as nanny. Because of this, Fred and McLachlan got into an argument, and Fred was repeatedly punched whilst holding Charmaine and Anna Marie. Police were eventually called, and McLachlan, Trotter, McNeil, and Rena told to leave. Fred even issued a deadly threat to Rena. Rena, however, being deeply committed to ensuring her daughter's well being, 
made regular visits to England to see Charmaine and Anne-Marie during their time living with Fred at Bishop's Cleeve. At first, Rena had a friendly relationship with McFall, but she eventually became frustrated, especially with McFall's involvement in her daughter's lives. Rena, driven by her own motivations, took several items from Fred's caravan on October the 11th and hastily returned to Glasgow. She was apprehended the following month and returned to Gloucester to face trial. Rena was sentenced to three years probation on November the 29th. During the trial, Fred acknowledged that he and McFall were indeed living together, but he also made a false statement about McFall's intentions to return to Scotland. After the trial, McFall found a place to stay at the Timberland Caravan Park, whilst Rena moved back and forth between living with Fred and returning to Glasgow. Based on the correspondence between McFall and her family and McNeil in Glasgow from 66 to 67, it appears that she saw the potential for a better life with Fred compared to her past life in Scotland. She attempted to persuade Fred to end his marriage with Rena and marry her instead. And of course, Fred would nod along. Of course, that's the plan. Until Fred decided it wasn't. You see, in the summer of 67, Anne McFall, who was just 18 years old and eight months pregnant with West's child, vanished. She was never seen again. The saddest part is her mysterious disappearance did not result in anybody. Not Fred, no one, not a single person filing a report of a missing person. No one knew or cared she disappeared. The gruesome reality did not even come to light until June 1994, when it was discovered that her dismembered bones had been found in the edge of a cornfield between Muchmarkle and Kempley. A disturbing fact came to light. Her limbs had been carefully dismembered. Several little bones from her hands were missing suggesting they'd been removed and potentially stored as macabre mementos. There was also potential evidence that suggested that her unborn child had been cut from her womb. To our knowledge, this is Fred's first murder. In the beginning, Fred West denied he had anything to do with McFall's passing though he did admit to stabbing her defensively during a disagreement. This narrative, though, has several contradictions. For example, the fact that dressing gown rope was used to bind her wrists raises the possibility of a more nefarious situation and provides evidence she was confined prior to her death. But let's jump back to the caravan park in the 60s. 
it brought about yet another unexpected turn, as Rena West moved back in with Fred after a brief separation, and the pair settled down at the Lake House Caravan Park. Their dysfunctional relationship showed a momentary sign of progress. However, the reprieve lasted for a short period, and by the next year, Rena had already departed for good, leaving Fred with the care of her children. During the period when he was without a female presence to help with the girls, Fred would resort to the social services of Gloucestershire, using them as a makeshift babysitter. Shortly after, in early 1969, the devil's stars aligned, and a 28-year-old Fred West first encountered the recently-turned-15 Rosemary Letts. Their first encounter was rather ordinary, both coincidentally waiting for the same bus in Cheltenham. Rose's initial impression of Fred was not positive, as she mistakenly assumed he was homeless because of how untidy he looked. However, she quickly became influenced by the constant attention he gave her during their regular bus stop encounters. Despite initially declining his date invitations, she eventually agreed to let him accompany her on the way home. During their initial discussions, Fred discovered that Rose had a promiscuous nature, despite not having been in any committed relationships. He also managed to evoke sympathy by presenting himself as a husband left behind, yearning for more children. Becoming slightly obsessed, Fred stumbled upon Rose's place of work, a charming local bakery and he orchestrated an intriguing act, persuading an unfamiliar woman to deliver a present to Rose, stating it was from an anonymous sender. Shortly after, Fred walked into the shop and asked Rose out on a date, and this time she agreed. Soon enough, Rose started making regular visits to Fred at the lake house, assuming responsibility of looking after his daughters, Charmaine and Anna Marie. She observed their lack of attention, but she approached them with compassion and she took care of them. She frequently joined Fred on outings to collect wildflowers with the girls. But the relationship took a sudden turn. You see, shortly after... Rose decided to leave her job and dedicate herself to being a full-time nanny for the children. Fred agreed to provide her with a regular payment so her parents would not become suspicious. Several months into that relationship, Rose finally introduced Fred to her family and he was met with immediate disapproval. Her mother, Daisy, found Fred's demeanour concerning and believed he was a habitual liar. Her father, Bill, 
who had, of course, mistreated Rose himself, strongly opposed the relationship, and he directly threatened Fred and also warned he would involve social services. Because, of course, a 13-year age gap between a 33- and a 46-year-old is nothing compared to a 15- and 28-year-old. And it was due to these concerns that Rose was sent to a Cheltenham facility for problematic teens in August of 1969. Her trips home were closely monitored, yet she would still take advantage of these to meet up with Fred. When she left the institution and Fred had left jail for theft and outstanding fines, they moved in together in his Cheltenham flat. In due course, Fred was able to reunite with his daughters Charmaine and Anna-Marie, who had been under the care of social services. In the mid-1970s, the couple relocated to a ground-floor flat in Midland Road, Gloucester. In October... Rose welcomed their first child, Heather Ann. Amidst speculation surrounding her paternity. Shortly afterwards, Fred found himself back behind bars, this time for car-related theft. This left Rose, who was only 17 at the time, with the responsibility of caring for three girls. She took on the role of a mother figure, and instructed the girls to call her mum. Anna-Marie and Charmaine experienced difficult circumstances whilst under Rose's care. Anna-Marie displayed a higher level of emotional reactivity, while Charmaine firmly resisted Rose's abusive behaviour. Charmaine remained strong in the face of the abuse and neglect, often expressing optimism that her birth mother would come to her aid. She would provoke Rose by drawing comparisons between her actions and those of her biological mother, publicly challenging her. A neighbour, Tracy Giles, recounted a particularly unsettling incident, where she arrived unannounced and witnessed to her disbelief Charmaine, gagged and bound, stood naked on a chair, whilst Rose stood by with a wooden spoon, and Anna Marie watched on in silence. Soon Charmaine was thankfully collected by her biological birth mother, who decided to leave her other daughter, Anne Marie, behind without a second thought. Well, that's according to Rose. That's whenever anyone curiously inquired about the sudden disappearance of the young girl. In reality, the body of Charmaine was hidden in the coal shed, awaiting Fred's release from prison so the abhorrent duo could dispose of her properly. This brings us to the end of the first episode about Fred and Rose West, and believe me, we have only scratched the surface. 
Be sure to join us next week for episode 8 when we take a further look into the lives of arguably the most depraved duo that ever walked the earth. I've been Kevin Eustace, and until next week on The Deadly Countdown, let's stop the clock. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.